All right, thank you. Let's move on to the Word of God. And I'm going to ask, before we move on, I've asked Doug Gwines to open us in prayer. Doug, go ahead and stand up here. Doug is one of our deacons around here, and he also happens to be in charge of our work day this coming Saturday. So stand up, Doug, so everybody can see who you are. If you have questions about that, come and find Doug afterwards. But Doug, would you uh, pray for our time in God's Word this morning? Most gracious Father, we come to you this morning once again, feeling your presence here with us, knowing that we're struggling a little, but these challenges make us stronger, Lord. Bring us closer to you because you answer the prayers that we pray in your own way. We thank you for the unity of this church, and we pray for more unity. And we ask you to be with Ross today as he brings us our message and help us to feel your presence here, Lord. And thank you for, for forgiveness of your sins because we are sinners. Thank you for your love, and we love you back. All these, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Doug. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, okay? John chapter 20, we'll get to that in just a minute, but before we get there, let me say this. Uh, we are in a series, almost ready to finish this series next week, called Encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus, and what we've been doing in this series has been we've been walking through the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at these one-on-one -on -one encounters between people and Jesus, where they have encountered Jesus. And we see that again this morning in this famous passage in John chapter 20, this famous passage with this guy named Thomas, who gets nicknamed what? Doubting Thomas, all right? We'll get that to, to that in a second, but let me start by saying this. The world is fine the world is absolutely okay for you and I to encounter Jesus. They're, they're, they're perfectly fine with that. If you and I were are to, to have a personal relationship and to encounter Jesus ourselves, this is where the trouble comes. The trouble comes is when you and I try to evangelize about Jesus. Okay? The world would say, hey, it's perfectly fine. You want to encounter Jesus? You want to have a uh, faith? You want to have uh, your religion? That's fine. You're, you're free to encounter Jesus. Just do us this favor. Don't act like it's true. Don't, don't act like it's objectively true and should be publicly talked about. It's fine if you have this personal faith in Jesus, and you encounter him subjectively, personally yourself. Just don't try to convince us that that's really true, that he's the only way, and that therefore we should encounter him as well. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's the rub. Everybody's fine. You have your personal faith, your private beliefs. Just don't make them public, and certainly don't try to impose them on other people. Now, we're not trying to impose. We want people to freely come to Jesus. But if you look at the Gospel of John and you look at Jesus' teaching, he's not saying have a private faith. 
and just kind of keep it to yourself. And if, hey, it's, if you like it, that's good, but don't impose it on other people. He, Jesus is claiming, as we see in John's gospel, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that people need to hear this good news. And it's not just a personal or private faith, but it's a public faith. And it's not just values, but it's, it's truth. He's really God, and it really matters, and therefore people should believe in him. In fact, the purpose statement of John's gospel we get to this morning, and it's in verses 30 and 31. So look with me at John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, not every gospel does the gospel writer state his purpose for writing the book, okay? But John gives us here at the end of the book, he says, this is why I've written this book. And look what he says in verse 30 and 31. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John is writing. That's his purpose statement. That you would read about him, that you would see these signs, and that you would believe, and others would believe, and that we might have life in his name. Believe in Jesus. But it's fascinating to me that right before those two verses, right before this purpose statement of John, we have this story of this guy doubting Thomas, who has a hard time believing, right? And says, I want to see for myself. Show me the evidence. And Jesus comes to him. And so that's where we are. Look at, uh, along with me at verses 24, and we'll start there, and we'll just kind of walk through this passage, okay? Verse 24, read along or follow along as I read it out loud. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Okay, let me stop right there. Previous section, right above. Jesus has appeared to the disciples eight days before, but Thomas wasn't there. He didn't get to see Jesus in the flesh. He didn't get to see Jesus resurrected. So he wasn't there. So verse 25 So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So you probably know this story. You know the situation. Thomas is left out and don't know where he was. And his buddies say, he's resurrected. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him. And Thomas is that frustrating friend. (laughs) He won't believe 10 other people that say, we're telling you the truth, we saw it. He says, nope, not going to believe it. Not going to believe it until I see it myself, not going to believe it until I touch myself. Can you imagine how frustrated those disciples were, right? They've been walking around three years, they know each other, they kind of know the temperament of Thomas that he has a little bit of a hard time believing. He's a bit of a skeptic. But can you imagine the ultimate frustration these guys have for eight days as they're like, Thomas, I'm telling you the truth here, man. But Thomas 
wants to see it for himself. He is not gullible. He is not an easy believer. And cut the guy a little slack, okay? I mean, he gets this reputation for, as being doubting Thomas, but cut him a little slack because he's really just asking for the same thing that they got. The same thing. If you look up in verse 20, when Jesus first appeared, it says, When he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. And Thomas is basically just saying, hey, I, I want to see what you saw. I want to touch the risen Jesus and see this for myself. So cut him a little slack. But Thomas is certainly not an easy believer. He's certainly not a gullible follower, is he? And so the story goes on, verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas this time, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now that, I think, is interesting that here they are. They're kind of, what's that? And also with you. Thank you. Uh, Jesus comes in the room, and this is like kind of spooky. The doors are locked, and he just appears, and he says, Peace be with you. And I'm like, dude, you're kind of freaking us out here. It's not very peaceful. But he says, peace be with you. And then verse 27, he says, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas here and the disciples themselves, the apostles themselves, are, are not just exercising blind faith. They have now seen the resurrected, risen Jesus. And Thomas, God meets him in his doubt, comes to him and says, okay, you want to see? You want to touch? Here it is. And so here's what I'm saying this morning based upon this passage. The Christian faith is not just a personal, subjective feeling and subjectively true, the apostles are trying to tell us, and Jesus is showing us, that it's objectively true. That this really happened, that he really is who he says he is, that he's shown some evidence. And so the Christian faith is, is not just some blind faith, but it is, is faith in truth. The apostles are always trying to get us to believe, not in some fairy tale, but in something that is beyond just personal, subjective faith. It's something that's true. So there's two bad... Um, in, our, in our day, there's two really kind of faulty understandings of faith, okay? Faulty understanding number one is that when you say you know, this is my faith, you're just talking about your religion, okay? So faith is just a word that describes any religion, okay? That's your faith, your personal faith. And there, there's places in the scripture, I'm thinking here particularly of Jude, where it talks about the faith once for all delivered to the saints, okay? But the word faith today is commonly just kind of described in that kind of way, that it's just your, your religion, 
But that's not the most common way that faith is used in the scriptures. The second faulty understanding of faith is what I've already said, that faith is just your private values, just your personal subjective values, but it has nothing to do with reality. It has nothing to correspond with truth or facts or evidence. And here's what we have to know. Here's what we have to believe, folks, that that's not the kind of New Testament faith that Jesus offers us, that Jesus expects of us. So let me quickly show you, okay, not just here in Thomas uh, and his experience, but elsewhere in other apostles, okay? And I want you, these are not going to be on the screen. They'll be listed, but I want you to flip with me quickly. This is Thomas's experience given in the Gospel of John, but let's look at John's own experience. 1 John chapter 1, okay? Flip to the right in your Bible, 1 John chapter 1. Listen to the way that John, same writer, okay, the Gospel of John, and this is an epistle or a letter of John. 1 John, listen to the way John describes the faith. The truth of the gospel, okay? Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands. Now, what is he saying? He's, He's letting you know, we've seen this, we've witnessed it, we've looked at it, we've seen it with our eyes, our hands have touched Verse 2, the life was made manifest. And again, look at how he describes it. We've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3, that which we have, again, look, again, repeated, we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you. What's John saying? He's saying this is not just some mythical story. This is what we've seen. I had a friend, this has been a number of years ago now, that as I was talking to him and we, we grew up in basically the same part of the country, same city, had similar understandings of faith as we grew up. But he, you know, as he moved away from where he grew up, got away from his parents and the influence of church, he basically one day told me, he said, I really think that believing in Jesus is the same thing as like believing in the story of Humpty Dumpty. It's just a made-up story. The problem with that is that the people that are writing the story are not writing it like a fairy tale. They're not saying once upon a time. John is claiming here, now you may say he's wrong. You may say he's lying, but he's claiming here we've seen it. We've touched it. We've heard it, okay? That's John. Let's move on. Another big apostle is Peter, right? Look, at with, look with me, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. 2 Peter 1.16. Look at Peter's emphasis here. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Underline that word eyewitnesses. For we received, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Look at verse 18. We ourselves heard this very voice, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then he goes on to talk about the the trustworthiness of the prophetic word. So again, John, I mean Peter, much like John, is saying, This is not a myth. We were witnesses. We, we saw it with our own eyes. Let's go over to Luke. Uh, 
the third gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And look at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, okay? We're covering a lot of ground here today. Hang with me, okay? Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, underline that, there's that word again, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. They, through tradition, and passed this down to us. Verse 3, it seemed good also to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Again, what's Luke saying? Is he saying uh, this is just something I kind of personally believe and it feels good down deep in my heart? He's saying, no, people have written about this and I closely investigated and I want you to know, Theophilus, the certainty of the things that you've heard and been taught. That it's not just a personal, subjective Faith, but it's really true. Okay, that's Luke. Sorry, two more here. Okay, Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, this is a story not about Matthew's experience, but it's a story about a guy named John the Baptist. Confusing because there's lots of Johns in the Bible, but John the Baptist was a pretty important guy, right? What do we know about John the Baptist? Well, he's the forerunner of the Messiah. He is the one that told the disciples when Jesus came on the scene, He's the one in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the guy we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is also the guy that Jesus says of of people born among women, no one's greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus has to say. That's Jesus' reference for John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the guy that told people, repent, repent, you brood of vipers. John the Baptist is the guy that says the Messiah is so great, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Okay? You get the picture of who John the Baptist is? Not a slacker. Not someone just back on the sidelines, off in the crowd, in the distance. Pretty big guy. Okay? Look, what, look where John the Baptist is in Matthew chapter 11. He's in prison, and he, he's doubting Like Thomas, John the Baptist, this guy, this forerunner of Jesus is doubting. Look at verse 2. Now when John heard in prison, John the Baptist, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come, who is to come, or shall we look for another? What What does that tell you? The forerunner of Jesus is in prison and confused. Jesus. I'm in prison, that doesn't seem right to be your forerunner and be in prison. And I'm really starting to wonder, are you the Messiah? Even John the Baptist has doubts. Thomas has doubts. You and I have doubts, right? This theologian named Dale Bruner, Bible scholar Dale Bruner, in his Gospel of John, Dale Bruner says this, the Christian faith is bipolar. Help me out here, David. 
There it is. The Christian faith is bipolar. Disciples live their life between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. Any of you identify with that? Just me? That's pretty powerful, isn't it? You know what's comforting? Thomas doubted. John the Baptist doubted. But what does he do with his doubts? What does Jesus do with John the Baptist's doubts? Look, verse 4. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John the Baptist. Jesus, I'm doubting here. This doesn't seem to be going the way I would have planned it. What are you doing? And what does Jesus say? Hey, quit doubting. Suck it up. Just believe. You don't need thoughtfulness about it. Just put on your faith pants and believe. He doesn't do that. Jesus says, look at the evidence. Look at what I've done. Listen to what I've said. And believe. And trust. One more place, okay? One more place. It's an Easter passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Quickly here, help me out. Paul, okay? Another big disciple, right? The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3, he says this. I'm reminding you of the gospel. He says, verse three, for I've delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, in the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. There's those resurrection appearances, right? And look at verse six. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at what time? At one time. What's the Apostle Paul saying about the resurrection of Jesus? He appeared. We saw him. It wasn't just this metaphor for new life. We saw him. He appeared to us, and he didn't just appear to us. He appeared to this crowd of 500 people. And if you want to go check it out, they're still alive. Go ask them if they saw that. Ask, verify if it's true. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And then the whole rest of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I realize I'm preaching from various texts today, okay? Give me grace. The whole rest of the chapter is Paul giving this argument that guess what? If there's no resurrection, if that's just supernatural and impossible, then guess what? Jesus isn't resurrected either. And if Jesus isn't resurrected, then y'all are fools And he ought to just sleep in on Sunday morning and quit singing these songs and acting like you have hope. Because really, if Jesus isn't resurrected, if if it hasn't really happened, but you believe something about Jesus, you're pitiful. You're of all men most pitied. Why? Because Paul is saying, if it happens, if it happened, it changes everything. And if it didn't happen then it's a hoax and you ought to just forget about Jesus. Now all that, 
John, Peter, Luke, John the Baptist, and Paul to say this. You don't have to be gullible because the apostles were not gullible. They were doubters, but they were not gullible. They weren't just ancient, backwoods, ignorant people that just believed myths. They saw and they said, this really happened. And you and I don't have to be gullible because the apostles themselves weren't gullible. And so Jesus in his grace appears to Thomas in verse 28. Thomas says this. He meets Thomas and Thomas answers him, my Lord and my God. And what is Thomas saying? He said, your Lord and your God. Jesus, you are who you said you are. I've seen it. I believe my Lord and my God. Now, when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door on a Saturday morning and you bring up this verse, they're going to say, well, Jesus isn't really God. This is, he, Thomas is just making an excl- exclamation here. He's, he's cursing. He's like, oh, my God. No, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He's, he's saying this to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus answers him in verse 29, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. My Lord and my God. It's true. And if it's true, it changes everything, every single thing. But if it's not true, then quit reading this book. Quit talking about Jesus. So a lot of people in our day are like, I don't want Christianity because I got this thing about science and evolution. And I got this problem with what the Bible says about sexuality and all this other stuff. And guess what? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what the Bible says about all that other stuff doesn't matter. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, then you gotta take, you gotta take him as he is. And you gotta take the word that he has promised and given us. So Thomas, on evidence, not on blind faith, but on faith in truth, says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus commends him and commends us. Verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In truth, not just personal subjective experience, but have believed the truth. So what are we, what are we to take from this? What are we to see from this? Well, first of all, we see his deity. His resurrection and his resurrection appearance to Thomas shows us his deity. 
because he appeared alive. We talked about that, but not only that, secondly, it shows us his love. Because when Thomas saw those wounds, he didn't just see deity, he saw love. When Thomas saw the scarred wounds of Jesus, he said, not only my Lord and my God, but my Lord and my God who loves me. We see Jesus' deity by his resurrection. We see Jesus' love by his wounds. So Thomas is like, oh my goodness, my Lord and my God, not only are you alive, but you died for me. You bled for me. You're wounded for me like you promised. You, you love me, so you went to the cross and you were raised from that. We see his deity from his resurrection. We see his love from his wounds. We see his grace because he appears to Thomas. See, Thomas was a doubter, right? I'm not going to believe unless I see it. And Jesus was under no obligation to show himself to Thomas. Thomas didn't deserve that, right? So this episode, this Jesus, Jesus appearing to Thomas shows us Jesus' grace. And any time Jesus reveals himself to us, it is his grace. Because Thomas is a doubter. I'm a doubter. I think more than me. We're all doubters. And, and Jesus is not obligated to show himself to doubters. But this story shows us again the grace of Jesus that he would appear to doubters and fickle believers like you and me. To you and me through the witness of Scripture, through the witness of the apostles who touched and felt and heard themselves. But anytime, through the scriptures or otherwise, that Jesus reveals himself to us, it is a revelation of his grace. We see his deity through his resurrection. We see his love through his wounds. We see his grace through his appearance to Thomas. And we also find his peace, right? He says, peace be with you. Remember that? That phrase, that greeting is repeated three times in this chapter. If you look up above in verse 19 as well as verse 21. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Three times Jesus says, I bring you peace. What does that mean? It means that the resurrection brings us peace. If he's conquered, the de if he's conquered death then there's nothing in our life, there's no chaos in our life that is greater than the resurrection of Jesus. If death is the worst thing and Jesus has conquered that, then because of the resurrection, you and I can have peace. And these are the words, peace, these are the words that, that Jesus has told these same followers back in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 33. Remember this wonderful promise of Jesus? John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in you, that in me, excuse me, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. Is that not true? In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And therefore, you and I, in the midst of tribulation, can have peace in here in spite of everything out there and in spite of the worry and chaos even in here. You and I can have peace because Jesus has overcome the world through his resurrection. He's God. He's deity. He loves us shown by his wounds from the cross. And through those wounds and through that promise, he gives us peace. Yesterday, we were in a gym for a couple hours watching some kids play basketball. And in this very important, highly competitive nine-year-old basketball game, I was sitting in front of this dad who was off his rocker. And he was kept yelling at his son who was on the opposite team of ours. And he was just blowing a head gasket, yelling at his nine-year-old son. Right, get out there and get the rebound. Right, hands up. Hands up! I mean, like almost that loud. Collin County parents, get a grip. And finally, the worst of it was, Ray, you get up and practice at 5 a.m. every morning. You're better than this. I felt so sad, so sad for that little kid out there playing his heart out. You know what? I hate to admit it, but sometimes I think about God like that. Either he's up there in the stands and he's really angry at what he saw me do or the mistakes I made, Or if not that, he just didn't show up for the game. He's absent, doesn't care. Jesus shows his grace to Thomas. He says, you doubt? Here I am. And he doesn't berate him. And he doesn't scream at him. And he holds out his hands and says, See how much I love you? I bled for you. And if I bled for you, you can trust me. That's what the resurrection shows us. And it's true. It really happened. So that we can know he's the son of God, so we can know his love for us, so that we can have peace in this world. Do you believe it? Pray with me.
Oh God, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, thank you that we are not just here this morning having an experience, but we are responding to the very true good news of Jesus. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not a metaphor. It's not a myth that is kind of optional to believe, but it's true and it's good news. And because it's true and because it's good news, it changes everything. Oh God, rub it into our hearts. We believe. Help our unbelief. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.